Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Good evening, church family. It feels good in the house, doesn't it? In Exodus chapter 15, the children of Israel are traveling through a desert afflicted by thirst and diseases. And it's there that we first hear the Lord introduce himself to his people as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. Today we are going to examine the topic of healing miracles from not only a biblical perspective, but also a personal one. We will be examining several passages from scripture that shed light on God's miraculous healing power but also hearing the stories and perspectives of a few members of our own congregation. When reading scripture, we'll be using the New Living Translation of the Bible, and for the sake of narrative flow, we're gonna skip over certain parts of each passage as needed, although we did take care to avoid twisting the scripture by quoting it too far out of its original context. Our time this evening will be segmented into three acts, with each examining the topic of healing from a slightly different perspective. And before each act, we'll take a moment to pause and reflect on what we've heard. At the end, we're going to make an appeal and opportunity available for everyone who wishes to come and receive prayer to come and do so. I hope your faith in God's power is built over the course of this evening, but also your trust in his plan and in his character when things don't turn out quite the way you expected. You may be seated as we begin with Act 1. Act 1, the God who brings healing. The story of Jairus' daughter, Luke 8, 40-56. Jesus heals in response to faith. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. Woman, the woman realized that she could not stay hidden. She began to tremble, fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He said, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. And then Jesus said, give her something to eat. What a story. 
Let's now listen to a modern story from a member of our congregation, Really Man. Let's see if we can hear any similarities between her story and the one we just read from the book of Luke. From the time I was born, I was a very sick child. More specifically, I had severe respiratory issues. I was constantly on medication and breathing treatments and I had to sleep sitting up, propped up on pillows just so I could get enough air. I couldn't run or exert myself without going into an asthma attack and I would cough so hard that the capillaries in my face would burst. The doctors tested me for cystic fibro fibrosis and a number of other diseases, but it wasn't really conclusive. These complications with my breathing resulted in hospital visits. One of my asthma attacks could not be relieved by my medications at home, or it got so bad that it turned into pneumonia. But one night I was in a service where my dad was going to be preaching, and during the middle of it, they brought me to the front of the church and they had me prayed for. We traveled home the next day and as my parents were getting me ready for bed, they prepared all my medications. They asked me, okay, Breely, are you ready to take your medicine? And to their surprise, their typically compliant four-year-old said no. <laughs> when they questioned why, my response was, you had me prayed for, Jesus healed me, so I don't need the medicine anymore. And while they were terrified of the wrath of my pediatrician, they decided to believe in the faith of a four-year-old and her faith in God that he had healed her. We would later look back and realize that the night of that service after it was over was the first night in my life that I had ran and played without going into an asthma attack. And since that day, I have never had another asthma attack, never taken another medication to breathe, never been hospitalized for it again. And without that miraculous healing, I would not be who I am today. So church, what can we learn by examining these two stories? Well, for starters, we see a link between a person's physical and spiritual condition, centered around the concept of faith. Now another way we can describe the biblical concept of faith is by substituting the words assurance, confidence, or trust, especially in God and in His promises. Let's turn to another story in the Bible to see what we can learn there and add to our understanding of healing. And after that Bible story, we're going to hear another modern-day story from Danae Dole. The story of Hannah and Samuel, excerpts from 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah would cry. She would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? One day, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. 
Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips move but hearing no sound, he thought, she has been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the Lord of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. The Lord remembered Hannah's plea, and in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I asked the Lord for him. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. After sacrificing a bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago, praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. My life has been full. I knew I would do this. Of what can be labeled as complex trauma. But through God's hand and my determination and the prudent use of doctors and therapy, my story has become one of healing. So thank you for allowing me to share this tonight. After my husband and I had our first two children, twins, we wanted another child. After six years, however, we did not see this come to fruition, and instead, we suffered two traumatic miscarriages that deeply scarred us, and it left me shattered. I blamed myself and my body, and I plunged into a very dark place. We had gone to the doctor for testing, and to our dismay, we're told, this is not going to happen. I was older, and... Um, there were just no eggs left. During those six years, I had been praying and pouring my heart out to God, and I reminded him of the story of Hannah. In fact, I think I reminded him every single day for six years. I think he got tired of hearing his own story. Anything that I could remind God of, I did. I kept a journal. I wrote scripture after scripture, and I would point to God and say, you, you wrote this. You did this. Why can't you do it for me? I attended baby showers, and I watched others, and I would put on a smile, but I was in so much pain. The ache of the loss of my children and the thoughts of their unrealized futures rocked me, and it left me empty. I went to church. I smiled. I did all the stuff. And then more traumatic life events happened, and that compounded my pain. But one day... After being told no, I went to the altar to pray. And I remember it so clearly to this day. I said, okay, God. I said, I get it. 
This is not going to happen, but you're still my God and I still love you and I'm still going to worship you. And I laid it down. And would you believe after letting it go, and I think it was maybe six months, I'm not sure, I was pregnant. And I went back to the doctor, and uh, he was shocked. Um, And you can ask my husband about this story, but he was literally in the middle of buying a new car that he always wanted. And I said, you know, I think I should take a test. And he looked at me like I was crazy because the doctor had told us no. And then he had to go back and explain to the dealership, and he had to get a minivan. (laughs) So... But what I had not known up to that point is that my other children, my twins, were miracles too. Because I discovered that I had not one, but three blood clotting disorders that likely caused my miscarriages. And despite that, I did not have one issue having my daughter Gia. And Gia means God is gracious. This is one example of the healing that God has worked in my life. But during those six years, I did not give up. And even when I gave up, it was more like a surrender and giving over to the Lord. I kind of threw my hands up and I made peace with whatever the Lord had for my life, no matter what that was going to be. My journey towards complete healing of all my traumas has been one The Lord has been with me. And if there's anyone who feels they could benefit from learning about my story, I'm leading a life group called Garden Stories. And it's for anybody with unresolved wounds, broken places, or traumas. I've been working on it for a few years. And we'll explore what healing is and go through each stage to become healthy emotionally and mentally with Jesus in the middle. Thank you for listening. So church, when we listen to the stories of Hannah and Danae, I think we learn a couple more things. One would be the concept of just bringing God your pain and your sorrow, letting him in and reaching a point of surrender. Another takeaway might be persistence and patience. So, so far we have faith, surrender, and patience. Let's keep going with a few more stories to see what else we can learn. The Healing of Naaman. Excerpts from 2 Kings 5. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But through Naaman, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. So Naaman told the king what a young girl from Israel had said, Go and visit the prophet of Israel. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of the prophet Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. 
But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hands over the leprosy, call on the name of the Lord his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpa better than any of these rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned, went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he just says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all of the world except in Israel. Please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gifts, Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, All right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any other God except the Lord. Let's now listen to another modern story from a member of our congregation, Sandra Zim. And again, let's see if we can hear any similarities Hi, between I'm her Sandra story. Hi, I'm Sandra Zim, and God healed me from colon cancer in 2014. I went in for a normal scheduled um, colonoscopy, and the doctors found a tumor in my colon. And of course, I was terrified. Um, I didn't make it public. Um, I didn't really talk about it with anyone except for my family and for my pastor and my bishop. Um, I went in for the second colonoscopy and they tattooed the tumor and prepared me for surgery. They prepared my family for the worst case scenario. It would be a long uh, major surgery and um, they didn't ever tell me you know what to expect i guess they were going to wait until after surgery to let me know what to expect about 30 to 45 minutes later i was waking up coming out of anesthesia with a doctor kissing me on the forehead saying it's a miracle and at the same time my family was being told by the other surgeon that he was stunned the tumor was completely gone um, the only thing left was the tattoo where they had tattooed to make sure that they got everything. I realized then how merciful our God is. And I feel like a lot of times we are not bold in our faith. I didn't feel worthy of healing. And I think that sometimes we don't ask because we don't feel like we're worthy. And I was at a point in my life where I had come back to church, but there were still some things that I was struggling with and that I had not completely settled with God. And so what I want everyone to know is that He is our healer. 
whether we are absolutely perfect or not. And since we can't be perfect, it's okay to ask. And it's important to be bold in your faith. We are seeing things happening right now that are amazing. And, and, and we need to be able to step up and just be bold and trust and believe. If he said it, he'll do it. And I am an example of that. Uh, I lived on the prayers of my family. Um, I lived on their faith more than mine. But he taught me a lesson about faith and about his mercy. And I am forever grateful for that. His love is amazing, but you don't have to be worthy to be healed. You don't have to be worthy to ask. He is your Abba Father, and He loves you. So from listening to the story of Naaman and the story of Sandra, we've learned a couple more things. So we've learned that healing can't be earned through your own resources, works, and having enough worthiness for healing isn't a thing. We also learned that the prayers of others can be effective. And we also learned that the ultimate result of a healing can be to turn the heart of a person back towards God. So, all together, when we examine the concept of healing, we've come up with several concepts. We've come up with faith surrender, patience, being connected to the care and prayer of others, not relying on our own worthiness or merits, and looking for how the suffering and healing can draw our heart, hearts back towards God. There are a lot of things to ponder. Let's ponder them for a moment before we move on. Are there any of these things that you need to consider for your own healing? Let's take a moment to think and pray, and we will resume in just a second. in history is available today to his children. We need to be bold and approach him in faith, persistence and surrender and all the other things we just learned about. But there are also stories and scripture passages that don't quite fit with the picture of a God who just automatically heals when we get the formula right or automatically heals whoever we ask whenever we ask. Scripture outlines a few reasons why we may not experience healing. Excerpts from 1 Corinthians 11. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. 
That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Excerpts from Matthew 13. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. That passage from 1 Corinthians about eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself, when you read it in its broader context, you see it's being linked to uh, arrogance and division amongst the body because of arrogance. People thinking they're too good to be seen or to do certain activities with other people, um, either consciously or subconsciously. It's, that is kind of the context of what's going on there. So we've learned a couple things from these passages, though. We've learned that healing can be absent from our lives because of division in the body of Christ, pride or arrogance, or unbelief. But again, is healing really something that we can just get the magic formula to? Like, if we just maximize our faith, surrender, and persistence, while at the same time laying aside division, pride, and unbelief, are we just guaranteed to have God step in and provide the miracle we're asking for? Well, first, I would say that's a pretty good start. Uh, Asking for healing is certainly biblical, and it's a promise to his church. So yes, let's certainly approach God with an understanding of what promotes healing and what doesn't promote healing. But let's also take a second to examine the case of what happens when these issues are not the problem, and yet God still doesn't act the way we want. For example, let's examine the story of one of Jesus' closest companions, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, part of the literal family of Jesus during his life on earth. Story of John the Baptist, excerpts from Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Later, John declared, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Soon after, Herod had John arrested and imprisoned as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. Excerpts from Matthew 4. The ministry of Jesus begins. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. We will continue the timeline of story by briefly turning to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19, and then head back to Matthew to finish John the Baptist's story. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, 
and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now back to Matthew 4. Jesus traveled throughout the region, teaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people began bringing to him all who were sick, and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. Chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew record many of the most famous teachings of Jesus and how his popularity began to surge across the region. Chapters 8 through 10 of Matthew transition to more stories of Jesus healing people from all manner of ailments and sicknesses and empowering his followers to do the same. Excerpts from Matthew 11. John the Baptist in prison heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Matthew chapters 12 and 13 then detail more time Jesus took to provide healings and teachings to the public about what the kingdom of God is like. Excerpts from Matthew chapter 14. The death of John the Baptist. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said, but because the vow was made in front of his guest, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl, who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Can you feel the sorrow of Jesus in that story? Even 2,000 years later, I can almost picture him administering healing and declaring out loud the good news about captives being set free, the whole time knowing that time is running out for his friend and family member. People are being freed and delivered right and left by the power of God, but not John. John will not be receiving any miracles. And almost as a cruel quip, Scripture adds this last little piece of commentary about the aftermath of John's execution and the birth of Jesus' public ministry. Story of John the Baptist concluded. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. It was understood, even by Herod, that God had the power to perform miracles, even resurrection of the dead. If raising John from the dead was a possibility, how much easier would simply freeing him from jail have been? Let's now turn to hear a story from our brother, Trey Moore. I think it's apparent that John the Baptist had a lonely time in prison, somewhat bitter, as most would, as most do. Few of his followers, of course, given the natural state of being in prison, were permitted to see him 
he, of course, longed to see Jesus and asked the question many times. It's written in, in scripture. Are you the guy? Are, are you Messiah, the one that I devoted my life to? Are you really him? Because I've not seen a shred of evidence of it. I've heard, but I've, I've not seen a shred of evidence. He was often tempted to doubt Jesus and his own mission, which was given to him before birth to prepare the way of the Lord. Why did Jesus want or allow for his cousin to remain in prison, especially one who had given up everything to make sure that people ready, were ready to hear what Christ had to say? It simply did not make sense. The, 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 the math equations do not equate. They don't measure up. If Jesus were the Messiah, why would he do nothing to deliver his cousin from this imprisonment? If he truly was all-powerful, why wouldn't he do anything? This experience, of course, was a great test for John in his faith and commitment and loyalty to his cousin, to Jesus. Personally, I found myself in that same spot many times. Maybe it's because uh, I'm frail, I'm sensitive. Or maybe it's because I'm human, and maybe some of you in this room tonight can relate to that. If Jesus were the Messiah, the Savior of humanity, why wouldn't he proactively do anything to come and intervene in the state of our world? If he truly was omnipotent, all-powerful, why wouldn't he come and intervene on my behalf with things that I had cast before his throne, that I've cried and prayed over, and that church has cried and prayed over on my behalf? If he really was all that he said that he was, why wouldn't he do what I found him to say that he would do in his word? Why wouldn't he heal me of my diseases? Don't I deserve more than this? I, God, I've devoted my life to you. I'm part of your bride, and this is how you choose to treat your beloved, leaving me locked up in prison, hurting, lost, confused, and even doubting the very power that we say comes alongside the name of Jesus. With John the Baptist, John, of course, never hears Christ say, John, you didn't waste your time. I'm the right guy. He never told John that I'm the Messiah, and, and you, buddy, <laughs> You're the one who got to introduce me to the world. Isn't that pretty cool? John never got to hear that. In fact, Christ, of course, never took that step and bippity-boppity-boo, prison doors swing open and King Herod drives a chariot off a cliff. No, that, that never happened. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, go tell John, blessed is he, the new King James. And King James says, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who doesn't turn away, who doesn't fall away because of how I roll. Talk about a letdown. Jesus knew that this was a, 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 not an answer that John was looking for. He knew it and he made sure that John knew it. Blessed are you if you're not offended at me. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where God seemingly abandoned you or only partly ministered to a need, but I have discovered personally that God often works outside of the limits of our expectations. And you might be saying, Trey, that really doesn't make sense because his word says that he would do these things. Why isn't he following through? So let me testify to you about what happens when God fails to meet your expectations. I have 
like many have already spoken about tonight, I have a very complicated medical history. When I was eight, I became very ill. I fell into a a coma lasting over a a month due to an autoimmune disease that everyone knows, type 1 diabetes. Let me provide some context here. It had gone undiscovered for over a year, which is very, very long compared to the, the common diagnosis. Typically, these things are figured out within a month or two because your body begins to fall apart so quickly. At the time of diagnosis, my A1C was a 19.9. Those who don't have type 1 diabetes, their A1C is typically around a 6.5. My blood sugar level at the time of diagnosis was over 1,800. That's 1,800. This alone put me in medical books. Those who are studying to be an endocrinologist, uh, specifically for pediatrics, read about my story because it was the highest that was ever reported at that point. Your blood sugar, of course, is supposed to be under 120, and mine was that exponentially. The doctors told my parents to prepare a life for difficulty because I was sitting in a coma and this disease had likely gone undetected, as I said, for over a year. And we only realized that something was wrong because I fell asleep on a rug in my bathroom floor and I didn't wake up. They advised that the disease has has caused damage to other organs and would likely progress only as I got older. Life was difficult, but not impossible because God always seemed to sweep in at just the right moments. However, entering my adult years, I I have come to realize that God did not come within a county line of meeting my expectations. Not one time. Let me explain. I fully expected as a child to be healed. Like Breedley, I was brought to the front of churches many times and had churches very similar to this one pray over me and plead the blood of God over me to be healed. But not only did God not fix my situation to my liking, to my parents' liking, he wouldn't fix me okay to be okay with the outcome, to be all right with not being healed. So what resulted in that was just pure hatred, anger, frustration, bitterness. God had failed me. I, I trusted him to intervene on my behalf, and my situation only got worse. Not only did he not fix that situation, but again, he let me just sit in pain Logic tells us that when we go through the fire, uh, those impurities of pride, of of self-reliance, and and, and all of those things will be burned right out of us. We're going to come out unsinged. We're going to be unscathed, and and we're going to be okay. Yeah, right. It doesn't work that way. It was pretty hard being scathed when God wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Mighty in battle, who is this king of glory? I was searching desperately, where is this king of glory? Why are you not looking at me? As I grew older, and the trial, of course, was still in full force, the diabetes was in full swing, I verbally told God, this was actually just a couple years ago, mind you, less than two. Your scripture says that if I draw near to you, God, that you'll draw near to me. I said this with my face in a carpet buried beneath or before the throne of God, trying so desperately to get a hold of, of what I thought was, was supposed to be there. I told God, I'm not moving another inch until you do something. And I didn't. I allowed that anger and that frustration to get a hold of me. 
I continued, not only, God, have you failed to acknowledge my situation, I don't see you following through on your word. Because you remember that part, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. Yeah, you're not coming to me. I do not see you at all. I don't feel you. Sure, everyone around me is saying, hey, just open your eyes. Look, look up to the heavens. But I do not see you. I wasn't comforted. I was shattered, angry, and bitter. You need to understand that I'm a middle child with middle child tendencies. And there are very few things that I value more than loyalty and fairness. And I wasn't seeing any of that. God was willfully and consistently letting me down. He met me. He sure did. And I can look back. I want you to be fully aware that, that standing here now, I can look back coming out of that situation and see God evident in every single situation. But in the moment, it's not what I wanted. He kind of healed me. Y'all know the story. I, my kidneys failed. They just cut out. And uh, God intervened. He brought kidney function from basically zero up to 33%, but that's not what I wanted. I wasn't happy. Because still today, I'm, I'm walking every day in pain. I hurt. My body hurts. But every day, God reminds me, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. He let me know that because of this thing called pride, that was the reason why I was hurting so bad and why I was so angry. You see, I have this mindset. If I'm going to rot, I'm going to rot alone. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to know. You won't know when I'm in pain. But I'm, I'm going to channel all of that to God. I'm going to keep my mouth shut, smile big, and talk about how great God is and how, how much faith I have. These are hard stories to talk about because while they're all too common, we don't want people to know the depths of our pain and how we truly feel. Some of you have experienced this, and I dare say either you're experiencing now or you've experienced it recently. God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not your fairy godmother or Santa Claus. And sometimes it doesn't just rain on the just. It earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, tornadoes on them too. So I leave you with this question before we go in to this next section. How has God failed you? Money's not there. Cancer wasn't healed. Your life has been so void of love and affection and it makes you feel like any space you occupy is the loneliest place on earth. Are you hurting? How has God failed you? I remind you that blessed is he who's not offended because of me. So what are we supposed to take away from the story of John the Baptist and our brother Trey? What are we supposed to make of that? I pull away a couple lessons. One, the ones that Jesus loved the ones that Jesus loves are not exempt from suffering. And the ones who sacrifice the most are not exempt from suffering. And Jesus can be aware of suffering and able to fix it, but for whatever purpose, choose not to. This is likely to leave us in a place of anger, confusion, hopelessness. But yet Jesus is also aware of this 
and speaks a blessing towards those who realize this and are brought to the place of still not being offended and falling away because of him. And lastly, thinking back to the story of John, if you think about it, the place where John's ability ended was the same place where Jesus's public effectiveness began. So let's ponder this for a moment, just a moment, before we move into the final act of tonight's program. who uses healing and suffering. One thing that I found helps make sense of this topic is fast forwarding and looking at the end of the story when God has the final victory. Revelations chapter 21 verses 3 through 4 says, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So as we move into this last act, let's examine healing from the present lens, but let's also begin to think about it from an eternal one. Brothers and sisters, I want, I want you to know that your healing is coming. Whether you receive it as a glorious eternity with him in the kingdom of God, or whether he's gracious enough to give you healing now as a taste of what's coming. He wants you to know your healing is coming. It's not if, it's just when. Your healing is coming. But lest you think that Jesus is a cruel master, indifferent and unable to relate to the sufferings of his servants that are stuck within time, his servants that are struggling with prayers not yet answered and healings promised but not yet received, lest you think that, we're going to tell you one more story about Jesus himself. Jesus prays in Gethsemane, excerpts from Matthew 26 and 27. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He, want on, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. We will now fast forward several hours past Jesus' arrest, trial, and scourging to the crucifixion. And as they went out to a place called Golgotha, 
which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, and when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders all mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. Does that headspace remind you of all of headspace John might have been in? Does that remind you of how you felt before? Our King Jesus can relate. He can relate, brothers and sisters. He understands. He's not a God outside of time demanding that you see an eternal perspective that he can't possibly expect you to see. He, he sees our perspective. He's been through it. He knows it. But God still had a purpose for suffering. And if we know that Jesus' ultimate plan is our permanent and total healing, what purpose would the healing and suffering in the present serve? Unless that is, if healing and suffering in the present have something to do with eternity and how God is going to save us in the world. Maybe in order to understand our healing and our suffering, we should examine scriptures for clues about the purpose behind Jesus' healings and his suffering why Jesus healed. Excerpt from the story of the paralyzed man and his four friends, Mark 2. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who are sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Excerpt from the story of the raising of Lazarus from John 11. Jesus said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Later, he's told his disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there for now. You will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Jesus soon arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The, the smell will be horrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Then Jesus looked to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man 
came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. These are two stories of Jesus healing, and he describes his purpose in each story. And we learn that the purpose of healing in both cases was not for the healing's sake, but rather to open an avenue for three things. One, he wanted God to be glorified. Two, he wanted people's sins to be forgiven, their souls to be healed, not just their bodies. And he wanted their sins forgiven so they could be in right standing with God. And then three, if God was glorified and someone's sins were forgiven, that would lead to a harvest of other people believing and being brought into the kingdom where they would all one day experience total healing. And indeed, let's think about those three things, God's glory, forgiveness of sins, and the harvest of others. When we look back to the story of the woman with the issue of blood that we read, we see a crowd of people were witnesses to the awesome power of God. And in the story of Hannah and her boy Samuel, the story ends with the family glorifying God in Shiloh. And then Samuel grows up to become a prophet that anoints King David over God's people of Israel. And then even in the story of Naaman, a foreign military leader, it ends with him glorifying God and becoming a worshiper of him. So the glory of God, the forgiveness of sins, and the harvest of other people into the kingdom are part of the reasons behind why God wants to heal in the present, not just in eternity. So let's now peek at a few passages before before we end that will illuminate maybe why the suffering of Jesus happened. Why Jesus suffered. Excerpts from Hebrews 2. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Why John suffered. Excerpts from John 3. John said to his disciples, It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Why Paul suffered. Excerpts from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, when listening to the snippets from these passages of suffering, we see that the point of Jesus, John, and Paul's sufferings were very similar reasons for the accounts of healing that God would be glorified, 
that we would be perfected and that our weakness would allow God's power to more effectively reach the lost and hurting and bring a harvest into the kingdom where eventually they and us alike will all be totally healed. The same reasons. So as strange as it may sound, brothers and sisters, I believe we can conclude when God heals us in the present, it's because he loves us and he's trying to draw us closer into his kingdom so he can forgive and permanently, totally heal us. And when God allows us to suffer through no error of our own, it may be for the sake of perfecting us so that our weakness creates a space for God to minister to others he is trying to forgive and heal. But the end road for suffering and healing in the present is healing, is the end of the story where God wipes away all pain. The only thing that derails it is if you are offended and fall away because of him, because you do not see the kingdom that he is trying to bring near to you. If we could all stand, we're going to read one more passage and then pastor's going to come call for the prayer leaders. Excerpts from James chapter 5 a passage about patience and endurance. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. There's that link between the body and the soul again. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So pastor's about to come and call for the prayer leaders and we will all have an opportunity to pray. I encourage you, if you have sickness in your body, bring it to the Lord. He cares for you. And if you need salvation, God wants to invite you into his kingdom tonight. He wants you to experience total and complete healing one day. If you are weary in your suffering and you're disillusioned with the purpose behind your pain, bring that to Jesus too. He cares for you. He gets it. And he will meet you here to minister to you. But no matter what, dear brothers and sisters, stay patient. God will not waste your pain. It will not last for forever. Healing is coming. Thank you. Let's thank the Lord for his word right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your inspired word that speaks to us, that guides us, that gives us understanding and direction. We're grateful tonight, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite our ministers and prayer leaders to come, come forward tonight. I, I recognize that uh, this has been very different than a typical Wednesday night. There's been depth and there's been nuance, but it's been very real. I said it's been very real. We thank the Lord for every healing. We thank the Lord for every testimony. We give praise to God for every answered prayer. But we also acknowledge sometimes that things don't turn out the way that we think they ought to. We also acknowledge that our expectations might not always be in alignment with God's will. And we've walked through that tonight. 
So wherever you find yourself this evening, I'm going to invite you to respond to the Word of God. And it might be for you to be healed physically tonight because we serve a miracle-working God. We serve a God like I preached about a couple months ago whose arm is not shortened. What he's done before, he can do again. But we also serve a God who says, you got to trust me. And if you can't see and understand what it is that I'm going to try to do, then you need to pray for my grace. And his grace will be sufficient tonight. So there's some here this evening that may need to receive a healing. And there's some here tonight who you, do, you just may need an endowment of God's grace. You may need God to help you to understand. You may need to help for God to help you to see that even though you, you can't put it all together and you can't see it clearly right now that you're going to trust him, that he's going to work all things together for your good in his purpose and in his time. And ultimately, it's not about your glory. It's about God's glory. It's about God's glory. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.